It's almost 410, uh, seeing that I can count that we only have four people um, on the call from PTAC right now. We don't have a quorum, so Adam, I'm happy to wait a little bit longer to see if people come. Yeah, that sounds yeah, that good. Sounds I know. Good. I, I heard, know. From heard from August, August that, that they won't be able to make it, but I haven't heard anyone else. One else. So, so give it a little give bit. It a little yeah. bit. I assume we don't have anyone in the room with you. And other than Lance, Lance now. now. Okay. Okay, it's almost 4.13. Nobody else has come in. Uh, if we do get a uh, fifth committee member on the call later, uh, we can formally call the order, do roll call, all that jazz. But as of right now, we're not in official meetings, so I don't think we need to go through the big song and dance. Um, call the order. There really isn't a way to call the order. It doesn't have a quorum. Uh, public comment. I do not see any members of public on the uh, call on Zoom. And thank you for switching the camera to show that there is nobody in attendance at the room. Um, approving minutes from July. We cannot do that because we do not have a quorum. So, uh, Adam, would you like to present us the information about Lawrence Trains and On Demand? I would. And I guess before I jump into that, I'll just... Um... If it's all right with you, because uh, we'll still take notes for this meeting, even if they're not official minutes. Sure. So just want to acknowledge, it looks like we've got uh, Mike Wazikowski, Alan, Lance Fay, and Austin Stifler here in attendance. So just that all sound good to you. We'll mark them as present and then acknowledged. Yes. Um, take notes still. And thank you, Margaret and Ginger, for uh, attending as well. Well, yes, happy to jump into a discussion about Lawrence Transit On Demand. We're very excited that we have um, worked through some of our process to be ready to launch uh, microtransit services that will ultimately be used for uh, Sunday service as well. But we um, plan to start using this new technology uh, to enhance our existing overnight service, uh, currently called Nightline. So. Let me jump into presentation. Okay. So uh, talking about uh, service launch for Lawrence Transit On Demand, which is the uh, brand name we are using for this microtransit service. A little bit about the background of this project. So in our route redesign study in 2021, uh, microtransit was identified as a service option uh, that would certainly be useful on Sundays. Um, it can be implemented citywide with less revenue hours than it takes to run fixed routes everywhere. Um, we also did explore the use of microtransit service in zones uh, throughout the city, uh, potentially overlapping with fixed routes. We didn't uh, quite have the available funds or service hours to do that from the start, but um, we are able to implement it um, not only on Sundays, but uh, as, as well as our existing overnight hours uh, that we use for Nightline. So uh, just to clarify the term microtransit, it is an Uber-like transit service um, so riders are using their uh, smartphone apps or a phone call to talk with one of our dispatchers and book a ride. If you've used 
uh, Uber or Lyft um, and are using a smartphone, you'll see uh, the vehicle approaching um, on a map, so you know real-time vehicle location. It'll give you estimates of how long it's going to take to get to your destination. Um, this project was supported by a grant that we were awarded through KDOT in 2022. Uh, the AIC program, or Access Innovation and Collaboration program, awarded the software costs that we are looking at. So. It's a little over $157,000 project. Um, a bulk of that is covered by federal funds. And uh, that cost actually helps us cover uh, four years of service. So um, when we were applying for this grant, we were fairly certain, but not completely certain, that we would not need any additional hardware. Um, but we did apply with, with funds that could have covered some of that cost if needed. Ultimately, the grant funds um, are just going towards software, kind of annual software as a service costs. So that really allowed us to extend um, how much value we got for that from that grant. So uh, June of 2023 was when we signed our contract and all the work started with uh, Spare, the company that we're working with. And so uh, from June of this year all the way through June of 2027, uh, we've got uh, this project covered, which gives us a lot of good flexibility um, moving forward to budget appropriately in future years. And as I mentioned, no, no additional hardware was needed. Just to be clear, uh, so we've, we've had Nightline service for uh, quite a long time. It's an overnight service um, that operates throughout the city of Lawrence. It provides curb-to-curb uh, -curb trips, we say, so any point to any point in Lawrence. Um, it currently, you can only access it by calling to make a reservation during business hours, Monday through Friday, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So with uh, this new software capability, we're essentially rebranding this service, calling it Lawrence Transit On Demand. It's a service that right now will operate overnights from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m., Monday through Saturday. Uh, and this same service will ultimately also operate on Sundays uh, once we hit the new year and have routes redesigned and, and that capability. But people's experience with using this service overnight and using it on Sundays will be the same phone app. It will be the same dispatchers if you're calling instead of using an app and the same uh, kind of experience um, depending on which uh, either time that you're using it. So uh, our implementation for overnights uh, will begin next week, next Wednesday, the 20th, is when we're targeting for the service to be available, starting at 8 p.m. that night. Um, so again, we'll operate overnights from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. To back up slightly and provide a little context, Nightline right now is used primarily by shift workers in town. It's a lot of people who have uh, pretty regular trips that they expect to take uh, when we don't have fixed route service. So if they're going to or from a shift um, at the East Hills Business Park or up in North Lawrence uh, by Berry Plastics and all the businesses up that way, uh, there's a lot of shifts that start or end around 11 p.m. Uh, there's also a lot of start and end around uh, 4 or 5 a.m. So lots of people are using Nightline service that way today. We expect those people to 
continue to use the service uh, under Lawrence Transit On Demand. Uh, the new opportunity is for uh, people in the middle of the night who may need a trip. Um, if you think about uh, people getting safely home from bars or restaurants, if you think about other late night trips where people haven't planned ahead to be needing a trip, uh, we expect uh, that our vehicles will get some more activity uh, with, with the new phone application available. Looking ahead, that first week in uh, January is when Lawrence Transit On Demand will become available on Sundays as well, uh, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So uh, the reason why we have to wait until the new year is because with redesigned uh, bus routes, we will recapture revenue hours that will be used on Sundays. So. Even though we have the technology today, we don't have the service hours, uh, the budget for the service hours to start Sunday just yet. Also wanted to mention, uh, actually, when this, um, when this slide was created, uh, Android was the app that we were waiting on. We're now waiting on uh, iPhone app availability. So our Android app actually is available. If you're an Android user and you search Lawrence Transit On Demand, you should be able to download the app and uh, create your user profile today. Um, you won't be able to book any trips until uh, the 20th, so uh, we still have to wait until uh, we officially launch the service next week. But uh, hopefully in the next day or two, uh, iOS should also, the app should be completely through that process and um, we'll be ready to start marketing uh, for the service, for people to get signed up for the service. This is one of the marketing uh, tools that Spare provided to us. There's a, a number of different images they gave for us to use, primarily on social media to help people understand uh, kind of how to use uh, this new service if they're using the app version of it. Um, so three three primary steps um, after you download the app: you're you are scheduling a ride by typing in where you want to go to. Um, the algorithm is telling a driver where you're at so it can come pick you up. And uh, then it's taking you to your destination following the route that's on your phone. Um, this service will be a completely shared ride service. So you won't have the ability to say that you um, have to ride alone. Um, you may very well take trips where no one else ends up sharing a ride with you. but. Uh, general public service, it's always uh, allowed for trips to be shared. So there may be times people find when they start using the service that if someone is um, generally on the way to where they're headed, the bus might stop and pick up someone else um, while it's heading to drop you off. So that'll be the same, same scenario overnights and uh, Sundays when it comes around in the new year. some other notes about the service. Uh, an hour of a driver on Lawrence Transit On Demand costs about the same as an hour of a driver on fixed route service. So um, service will be fare free, the same as uh, the rest of our service today. Uh, the way we're able to limit cost on a service like this is by setting a cap on the actual revenue hours we provide. 
So we certainly want to keep wait times at 15 or 20 minutes, um, no more than 20 minutes, hopefully. Um, but if the use of this service uh, skyrockets, um, people would experience higher wait times uh, just because we essentially can only afford to have so many vehicles out at once um, unless we decided to pull uh, revenue hours from another part of our service like fixed route. So that's one of the ways with fare free service we're able to control cost on this, on this particular service. Just want to reiterate for accessibility reasons that it's uh, not required that people use the smartphone app to still access this service, whether it's overnight or Sundays. Um, could be for accessibility reasons, it could be for uh, just people not uh, feeling comfortable or wanting to use that type of technology, but it will still be uh, accessible by calling during our business hours to schedule a ride, uh, which is the same as Nightline today. So. Uh, we won't be able to add additional reservationist staffing overnight, so uh, we're, we aren't going to be able to um, have people give us a phone call at 10 or 11 p.m. to schedule a trip, um, but that, that's the same as what we face today. So, uh, so there's still that accessibility, at least at the baseline that we offer today. And I believe that's the... Um, end of the content I have for this. I'm happy to go back to anything or answer any questions anybody might have. Uh, yeah, Lance. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, Lance Fappy Tech here. I got a couple of clarifications I'd like to hear. Um, you are using the same paratransit vehicles for this service, correct? Correct. So they're all going to be cutaway vehicles. They will, um, they will be a mix of some paratransit vehicles and a couple of cutaways that we use in fixed route service. Okay. We'll be trying to get, um, we're trying to ensure that bike racks are available on all the vehicles because that's one thing that doesn't exist yeah. on all paras. Accessibility for people with physical disabilities. Sure, yes. Whether it be a scooter or wheelchair or just need help getting on the bus, so you'll have that accessibility, okay. Yeah, everything will have lift uh, available yeah. for a wheelchair. Um, the next thing would be um, currently um, after midnight on Saturday, Nightline services don't work. Is that going to continue for the rest of this year? Yeah, I appreciate that clarification. So for the rest of this calendar year, uh, this service will only run until midnight on Saturday. Okay. Um, and yeah. uh, starting in 2024, when Sunday service begins, we will extend the night service over from Saturday to Sunday at 6 a.m. Okay. And then we'll pick back up Sunday service 8 a.m. to 8 p.m that day. So there will be a couple hour gap in between when the night service ends and the, the Sunday day service begins. Okay. Uh, there was one other question I had and it just escaped me. It was also a small detail. Oh, um, so currently you can schedule, say, a few rides at a time. So if someone say that works every night at midnight, they can schedule ahead of time. Will that will they not be able to do that anymore with this app, or can you still schedule like two to five days in advance? Yeah, you can still schedule recurring trips. So uh, the system will allow. Uh, you'll have to uh, call a reservationist to make that happen. That's the same way as um, it is today. But people can schedule up to five days in advance, and it can be a recurring trip. Um, the system does prioritize those uh, subscription trips, we call them, or recurring trips, uh, 
over kind of the on-demand version. So in the instance that someone, you know, Monday through Friday, they're trying to get to work at 11 p.m., they won't have to fear that on-demand trips will slow them down so much that they'll miss the start of work, for example. Okay. So there will be some priority set there. Thanks for your questions, Lance. Um, Alan, Austin, do either of you have anything you want to ask? Nope. Okay. Uh, Margaret Ginger, go ahead. I was just going to add that this is the same platform that KU students are using for SafeRide, and I really love how it works on the back end, but we did get some clarification that since we have two different builds, students will have to have both apps and sign into them separately in order to use on-demand, just so that you're aware. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, oh, we have someone from public intense. JT, do you have anything you want to ask or add on this topic since you just came in? Yes, thank you. Um, I've got a question, probably a follow-up, depending on the answer. What about Amtrak? Uh, as far as using the service to access Amtrak? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, either arriving or departing. Yeah, so it should improve that situation. So we've we've worked with some people who use existing Nightline to get to Amtrak. It can be a challenge because you have to book Nightline during business hours today, and Amtrak is often late <laughs> or can be late. So um, this service, because it's on demand, uh, people should be able to watch their Amtrak train and have a little more um, comfort that they'll take their bus trip using Lawrence Transit On Demand when they need to, to arrive at, at Amtrak, um, you know, without too much extra waiting time. Um, boy, I don't see how that's practical. Um, let's say that you're an Amtrak rider arriving, even if you're on time. Well, if you're on time, well, if they're a stranger to Lawrence and they don't know anything about this, it used to be that there was an attendant there that would try and help um, those who are arriving and are looking for a, a ride um, within Lawrence that um, they get some guidance on um, who to call. But I was there one night, for example, in a a train arrived and it was on time and the gal, um, there was a gal there that needed a ride and um, the attendant couldn't seem to get her, get her a ride whether it was a taxi or um, this service if it was even available then and um, she wound up calling her brother and um, I was talking to her because she was a very interesting uh, gal with a lot of Lawrence history. I'd never met her. And um, um, at any rate, she arranged a ride. And uh, so I continued to talk to her. And then by and by, I said, well, when's your, when's your ride going to arrive here? She said, well, he's coming from Lenexa. 
and she lives at Ninth and New Hampshire. So, um, heck, I would have given her a ride uh, in that case, but so, um, I mean, what are the realities for somebody that's arriving um, if they do or do not know about, I mean, this is a major transportation mode coming into Lawrence and it's unfortunate that um, it's not always timely, but um, how to make the most of that. So let me take a first crack at it, Margareta. Um, so this service would be able to help someone like that. Now your, your question about how do they learn about the service, I think we'll have to understand what sort of, you know, we can't necessarily affect the whether or not there's an attendant up at, at the Santa Fe Depot. We, would, we could investigate if there's the availability for us to post information about this service um, outside the building where someone would spot it after they get off a train. It would let them know, here's the app you download. And if you request a trip from us, uh, we would expect a vehicle to be to that depot within 10 or 15 minutes based on the service we're putting out. So, um, you know, there's, there's two different things going on there. One of them is we have to inform people about the service. The other one I think is is a solution we're looking for where on demand someone can get a trip in the middle of the night no matter what time they request it. And that, but, but that's only through the, uh, through the app? Correct. Yeah. Um, well, certainly signage at the uh, station itself would be a, I would think that would be a prerequisite. Um, when I think about Connected City and, and this being an entire mode that people should be able to depend on, um, I'd like to look forward to a day when a person can get off there and be a stranger to town. And um, I mean, you're putting so much into this already. Um, I don't know why that uh, with some, some kind of diligence that couldn't be solved. But um, at any rate, I want to thank you for, for doing it and for thinking of the uh, bike rack too. Sure. Yeah. Um, Margaret, did you have anything to add to that discussion? Well, I was going to say that one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is being able to tell people who want to get to Amtrak that there is a way to get there uh, that won't require planning it in advance when you don't know how late the train is. And so, JT, I'm really hoping that everyone has a better experience with something that's more in the moment because if you see that your train is 30 minutes out you can make the request and have or an hour out let's say and plan to be there and not have to wait for hours when the train is a few hours late um, and a lot of the train trips arriving are at times of night when i'm pretty sure not peak times for nightline so i think that the likelihood that the wait time would be very long is probably going to be fairly low. And communication is always our biggest hurdle in anything transit. And I'm sure that we'll be, the city staff will be doing a lot of that, but we'll also be contributing to that with all of the KU students who use Amtrak. Um, from the safe ride perspective, I can tell you that in general, our average wait time throughout the entire year last year, uh, regardless of 
it's an average of slow nights and busy nights is 14 minutes. And so I think that's a pretty reasonable amount of wait time compared to the 20 or 30 or 45 minutes that people have experienced in the past and or the need to schedule it so far ahead. I think the trade-offs will be big enough that people will like the service. For the question, may I? Yeah, you can continue. Okay, um, I don't know much about Safe Ride. Um, are you saying that it's a, it's a complimentary or even a substitute for what, what's being presented today? No, it's the student version of it for KU students alone. Uh, uh, it's private for students, but it's on the same platform. And so knowing that they're driving their vehicles in the same footprint that on-demand will work and in the similar hours and using the same platform when this goes live is what I'm basing that comment on. The Safe Ride gave 32,000 rides home to students at late at night last year. Okay, well, um, if you're if you're coming, uh, trying to think, if you're coming into Lawrence at night, um, your last opportunity to have a significant delay would be at DeSoto. And so you wouldn't necessarily, and that happens, so you wouldn't necessarily know um, when you were going to get there, uh, even though it's only, it's 15 minutes away. So I don't know, I, you guys yeah. are, you guys, you're on your way to getting there, but it is, uh, since it's a major transportation mode, um, I would look forward to a day when it, was uh, dependable for all users and if uh, possible with only a phone call where somebody doesn't have to use an app if they're not familiar with it. Thank you. I would just say that Austin can maybe speak better to this because he has experience using the Safe Ride app, but it is possible to adjust your times or if something happens to delay you cancel your ride and re-request it when you know that the train has started moving again. Uh, so if people do know about it, hopefully they'll have the flexibility that they wouldn't have had with Nightline to make those adjustments. I wonder, Adam, if you'll be able to help find a way to get in touch with Amtrak about how to publicize it to their people who are booking tickets to Lawrence. That might be an interesting way to to help notify people about it. Yeah, we'll have to explore. We do, we do have some contacts of the folks who have been attendants over there at the depot, so I think we'll probably start there. Um, but I think information sharing is a good good first step. Thank you. And this is Austin Stifler, PTAC member. Um, after everybody um, to JT's comments and questions, um, I think one thing that is kind of configurable within that spare application that is shared between SafeRide and what's what's going to replace on demand. Um, I think that one of the the features that um, the city can kind of configure would be 
um, adding in, you know, kind of that ability to have recurring trips or perhaps schedule trips, which of course, if the train is delayed, um, that might not work in that case. But um, for instance, with um, the Safe Ride app, the way that things are configured now, someone could, in theory, cancel that trip and say, well, I, I'm going to wait to go home or I'm going to wait to book a ride. And they could always either reschedule that for a different time or they could rebook that at a different time. So I think that will allow some flexibility. Um, I don't think there will be any type of, say, penalization if someone does end up um, getting in a little bit later and uh, rebooking that ride. Thank you, Austin, JT. Um, I only had two questions for myself, Adam. Um, one is based on slide uh, four that talks about finalizing Android app availability. Uh, what about iOS? Um, is there one that's already available or is that planned? Yeah, so when this uh, slide deck was made, iOS was in good shape and we faced a couple of hurdles recently. So <laughs> um, actually iOS right now uh, is, is needing another day or so of work for it to become available. Okay. There will be so it's planned, at least. yeah. There will okay. be apps available in all the app stores. We're just uh, finalizing finalizing that availability. Works for me then. Thank you. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to hit on is the next slide. I see that the second screenshot has a uh, indicator for a credit card to be listed there. Uh, is the intent that we wouldn't need to use that at all because we're uh, ostensibly free through the end of this year and potentially could be through 2024, depending on what we discuss? That's correct. Yeah, these are some stock images that they kind of slot our info okay. into, um, and so Perfect. it's typical for them to show that. For people to sign up, um, it is required that they provide us with uh, um, their name and phone number. A phone number is what ties their account to their device um, so that we know who we're booking a trip for. Um, but they won't have to uh, provide a credit card for a fare-free trip. We have that on ours too. They can't remove it from the standard setup of the app. Okay. That's kind of annoying. UX perspective, I, I would love to see that go away when it's explicitly a free thing because I'm sure that'll be really confusing to some people. It's been on my list for a while. They know that we'd like that, too. Okay. Thank you, Margareta. No. Uh, that's all questions I have. So just one quick sweep. Does anyone else on call or have any further questions, including people who already asked them? Hearing nothing, thank you, Adam. Thank you. Uh, next item on our agenda then is an uh, update on the K10 Connector Partnership. Yes, give me just a second here. Okay, wanted to provide some updates on uh, some continuing discussions with uh, Johnson County regarding the K10 connector. So, set some background. Uh, the K10 
K10 Connector is a commuter service that travels between um, Johnson County and Douglas County. It touches base at Johnson County Community College, uh, the KU Edwards campus, and of course the campus here at KU. Um, it's been a service that's been fair free since uh, KCATA across all of its services went fair free in, in 2019. In 2014, the city began supporting this service uh, with some annual funding. And there's a current uh, memorandum of understanding, a legal document uh, between the city and Johnson County that expires um, at the end of this calendar year. Some overview of what that funding from the city to Johnson County has looked like since 2014 uh, through this year. Um, with ridership shown on the right side of the screen just to orient you to um, kind of how our, our costs have increased over the years. Uh, we've kind of locked in since 2019 at that $155,000 annually. Um, ridership from uh, the service side has been decreasing, of course took a big hit with the pandemic and uh, has remained pretty low. For context, I put at the bottom of this screen the total annual service cost uh, to support the entire route is 1.7 million. So just wanted you to kind of understand that big number as it relates to you know, the amount of money that the city uh, provides um, as supplement to the service. So uh, we were in the middle of a pandemic when our um, when our MOU was expiring with Johnson County the last time. Uh, I, we worked with them to negotiate uh, just a two-year extension as opposed to uh, what was a five-year MOU, uh, just to get us through, buy us some breathing room time um, during the pandemic. And so we signed that two-year extension in 2021. At that time, uh, in my role, I asked that Johnson County do some additional engagement with Johnson County Community College and KU, um, given that those are two, the, the two largest users of that system um, between our two communities. Uh, not that I had high expectations for either university who's uh, you know, cash-strapped for different reasons through state education funding um, and caps on tuition, but, uh, but I did want there to be some discussion uh, since the city was the only additional funding partner. Um, there's been some additional discussions uh, this year between Johnson County, uh, KU, and um, the city, and uh, also identified Douglas County and KDOT as some additional partners who should be in discussions about um, funding or supporting the service uh, that crosses this jurisdiction and affects a lot of different um, municipalities, counties, organizations. Worth noting that uh, with that MOU expiring, we don't currently have uh, funding support for Johnson County starting in 2024. Um, we Again, since we've had some of these discussions in 2023 and given the large um, dollar amount of the service overall. The funding that the city provides to Johnson County, um, if that goes away, Johnson County has not indicated that 
that would be cause for eliminating the service, um, but certainly a reduction in trips, uh, likely in some of the lower capacity times of the year, such as summer or off-semester off times, um, would likely be adjustments that Johnson County would need to consider. Um, just to place some context around, you know, as we are looking toward our future budgets, what $155,000 means to the city as far as value. Um, you know, we're being very strategic in really every line item in our budget and thinking about how it moves the needle on strategic plan initiatives that the city has. And so I just, these, this is an exhaustive list, but these are four kind of um, easily digestible, I think, pieces of our annual budget that cost around $150,000. So that cost is roughly half the service cost of a, of a fixed route. Um, it is all of our capital improvements that we make to bus stops. So when we buy shelters and benches annually, trash cans, uh, that's in the neighborhood of $150,000. Um, it's about the a third the cost, I would say, of our uh, fare-free service. I'm thinking about the um, the revenue that we're not bringing in due to fare free and it is about the annual cost of all our different technology platforms so we just talked about one of them um, that's grant funded right now but there's a number of other technology uh, programs that we use both onboard buses and the current app that we use for riders um, route planning tools different things so Right now, there is um, agreement, certainly between uh, the city, KU, and Johnson County to keep having discussions, and certainly looping in uh, Douglas County and KDOT on just how we approach this route moving forward um, so that it feels uh, like a, um, a partnership that everyone's um, interested in or um, has you know, has uh, buy-in to the strategy for how it's it's funded and ran. Um, really all, I will just say just from my experience working in other communities as well, any cross-jurisdictional service can be a challenge when it comes to uh, setting service levels and, and funding and operations. And so um, we're, we're kind of at that point with this one, with, with different agencies needing to really consider um, the value that's that's coming out of a service like this versus how much money is going into it. That is a relatively short uh, presentation to give you some context of where we're headed. Um, like I mentioned, certainly a lot more uh, meetings to be had between the different organizations involved in this, but I'm happy to answer any questions or concerns that any folks have. Thank you, Adam. Um, JT, you raised your hand and you should go first. Um, thank you. Um, a question or two and then probably a comment. Um, do, do I gather that KU does not contribute any cash to the KTM connector? That's, That's correct. Okay. Um, I used to ride that. In fact, I think I started writing, it was part of my introduction to writing public, our public bus system, um, which had just begun, if I recall, 
any rate, um, it was my impression that majority of my fellow passengers were KU students, or maybe Johnson County students who were coming to KU. Um, do, you, do you have any figures on that? The information that we were provided from Johnson County indicates from surveying that it's about half and half. Half and half what? Half KU and half people going towards Johnson County. Or coming from Johnson County Public, you're talking about? Half KU students and half JCCC. That's, so that's talking, the way they said it to us. I don't really know for a fact how exactly they counted it. Okay, it sounds like then the figures you got did not include the public um, going one way or both. I just mean that the way that they specified it to us, whether it was half KU students and half not, they didn't tell us the breakdown further than that in the meeting that we were talking about all of this in. Yeah, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not complaining at you for that. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just saying I don't know beyond the half KU and half not. Yeah, well, um, here's one member of the public. I wasn't uh, either a KU student or a Johnson County student. I don't think what, yeah, I, I, I was neither at that at the time, and I wrote it for about five years um, as a way of getting um, a bike over to K, uh, Kansas City and back without without biking all the way. I learned to do that later. Um, my other question is, when I first started riding the um, K10 connector, they had a bike rack on front, and if you were if you were the if you got there when it was already loaded up, and sometimes it was, you were out of luck. You had to wait till the next go around. Then they uh, started. Um, using a bus that had a bike bay underneath, and that solved that problem. I, am I correct in assuming that that would still be the case with the, these buses? So I think so. Yeah, and I've, I've ridden the K10 connector myself as well. They, I, I believe they use pure, I think they only have uh, over-the-road coach buses they use at this point on that service, which do include... Um, is that not true, or do they use some city buses? I've well? I have seen a couple of regular city buses. They okay. try to use the over-the-road coach as much as possible, but there are some service levels where they have to send a regular bus to. I've seen both outside of our office. Well, it's, I think they're not supposed to use the um, regular buses on the highway to carry with the bike racks on the front. I think there's some kind of a safety code on that. I don't, somebody could correct me on that, but I believe there's something that makes that no. not not preferable for safety reasons. I'm sure that's probably true that there would be some preferences not to, but I think that there are times when that's their only choice in order to have the right number of buses. But regardless uh, that I expect they would continue providing those same vehicles as long as they're providing the service. Um, that's what the over-the-road coaches are for. I don't think they use it in other service. Well, it's a wonderful service. Thank you. So, Lance Fapitek, I want to kind of chime in on a couple things here. Let's keep in mind that the K10 connector is run by Johnson County, and um, 
they get a considerable amount of state funding. Um, they get a lot more funding <laughs> than we do. Um, and so a lot of the things that we're asking about are things that are going to have to be answered um, ultimately by, by them. Um, Another thing that I've noticed um, over the years, the route that they take through Lawrence has changed quite a bit, and uh, it can sometimes be a bit confusing. Um, I've also I've used the service as a general member of the public. And um, although, yes, you can go find out where they're stopping and at what time, there isn't really any specific signage. Um, and uh, especially one of their, a couple of their stops on campus are frequently rerouted with little or no notice, sometimes to basketball games or other construction things. And so apart, in addition to COVID, some of the ridership decrease is going to come just out of pure confusion and just, you know, not being able to get to your bus or you get there and it's not going to go on that route because, you know, the, the change in the route has been not been communicated. And so I think there's some, some route and logistical things there that as this service goes forward, maybe we need to look at where those routes are going and how they could be more reliable um, and have a further discussion as to you know, what level of participation should all parties involved have. Um, another thing is as a member of the public, if you're going from KU to Johnson County JUCO, once you get off that K-10 connector bus, there are very limited options for other public transportation routes uh, in Johnson County. There are some, but they are very limited. Um, and so it's going to have to be some more regional uh, conversations in order for this service to be worth the uh, financial investment that we're making and, and, and perhaps even more in the future. I mean, as of right now, it doesn't really serve as well as it should. And it can be very confusing and unreliable as far as where the routes do and don't show up. So I think there's some work to do in order to continue doing it. One, one final comment. Sure, JT, go ahead. Okay, um, I used to stay on the, uh, see on the bus and go south to the Edwards campus, and I assume it still does that. Uh, from the Edwards campus, you get on, um, what's that, Corvera? Um, you get on Corvera and you go about a mile south and you get on the Indian Creek uh, Trail and you can go clear over into Missouri on a bike. I used to do that it, and I depended on doing it. Um, so it's not the case that there is no when you consider all modes, it's not the it's not the case that there isn't connectivity. Thank you. That's enough for me. Yeah, I might, and I appreciate Lance's comments. I might share too. I mean, I think all as we've been having these meetings, I think there's understanding around the room with different agencies that uh, you know regional service is important, and it it. Um, you know, it does take cars off the road, and it um, is a thing that we ultimately want. It is very tricky, you know, based on some of the comments you made, Lance. You know, uh, you know, one agency does have to run it, and the others can, you know, work to to try to influence and work together and try to make it the most useful as possible for everybody that's hopping on. But it, it's sure not a simple thing to to coordinate and. Um, 
And I think some of those challenges have been there for, for many years, and I think we're, we're starting to have you know, maybe more serious discussions about, uh, about value to everyone, um, to everyone who uses it and, and wants to use it, wants it to, to do certain things. So, um, yeah, good, good notes about some of, the, some of the challenges that they're facing. Can I add one thing, Adam? Will you go back to that slide about the ridership? I wanted to make one note that part of how we look at ridership at KU and how we're prioritizing where we put the funding from student fees is that total ridership number. And if you consider that half of each of these numbers approximately based on the uh, Johnson County Transit's estimates are KU students. Even at the highest number in 2015, 122,000, half of that number is about 61,000 students. That is lower ridership numbers than most of the KU routes had that year. And so part of how we would choose to fund a route often depends on how much ridership we get for that dollar amount and effectively use our money. And these numbers would actually make this the first route we would cut funding from if it was in the mix of things we were funding. Uh, just for a perspective on how we look at these numbers uh, in comparison to the other service that we provide. Thank you for uh, this discussion, everyone. Um, definitely an agreement. It seems like, based on the money that uh, you're quoting, Adam, uh, 122,000 is decent ridership. 46,000 is significantly less. Um, hard to know what I would want to spend that money on, but um, thank you for share, sharing this information with us, at least. Um, before we go on from this topic, does anybody else have Last lingering comments, questions, concerns. Okay. Um, next item on the agenda is just a, the PTAC members. Do you have anything that you want to uh, talk about today that wasn't already on the agenda? Okay. Um, not giving you a lot of time, but I'm assuming not. So uh, if you do have anything that you want to add to the agenda for October's meeting, feel free to email Adam, Lance, and myself. We'll uh, gladly uh, uh, talk about just about anything that you want to talk about relating to Lawrence Transit. Uh, next item on the agenda then is the copious list of transit staff items, Adam. Um, Thank you. No, no. I assume you want to start at the top and then work your way down. Might as well, yeah, yeah. Quite a long list here. I figured we'd, um, you know, we've got a lot of irons in the fire, clearly. So, just wanted to run down the list and give you at least a quick sense of where we're at. Provide some opportunity to ask questions if you have it. The first one is we are making great progress over at Central Station. Hopefully, you've been able to see some of the update photos we've been pushing out through social media every uh, week or two, um, and we're at the point where. It is a pretty interesting site to walk around uh, with a hard hat and high visibility vest on. So wanted to offer that idea to this group as an option um, in lieu of our uh, October meeting. 
would, would this group be interested in a walk around tour of Central Station? At that point, the site should be um, pretty well finished with the exception of punch list items. So kind of uh, final details that we'll be working through. The building itself is currently on track to be complete sometime in the mid-November. So there will still be some work going on in the building, but uh, should be quite a bit done. So uh, just wanted to offer that as discussion. I know that we don't have a quorum here today, um, but if there's any, in, just so I can uh, understand some interest from those who are here on that sort of. I am definitely interested. Awesome. Uh, anybody else? PTAC members, Alan, Lance, Austin? No, I'm PTAC member. Yeah, that, yeah be interested in do that as long as we don't have to do any real work. <laughs> so you're saying in lieu, is in lieu of the meeting, so instead of the meeting, we just go to a tour of the facility? Is what you're Correct. suggesting? Correct. Okay. That's, as long as there's not any pressing business that we need to take care of, that um, and we can just skip the regular meeting and do the tour, I'd be down with it, yeah. Austin Sippler, PTAC member, I would also be interested in taking a tour. Okay. And certainly, yeah, if there is, I don't foresee pressing, uh, you know, things we really absolutely need to vote on in October, but, but if we do, we'll navigate that. And um, if, if there is something that comes up, would the group be interested in a, uh, a tour separate from the typical meeting, like on a different day and time? I probably would still be. Okay. Yeah. So we can navigate that. Yeah. We'll just try to give enough um, notice where um, if there are members of the public who want to join, they can as well. We'll probably have an RSVP list so that we make sure there's a manageable sized group that can make it out there. And um, Yeah, Austin? Um, Austin Stifler again. Um, one thing I was wondering, uh, just kind of spitballing, would there maybe be an option for a virtual tour as well if members of the public who might not be able to attend would like to see? Let me marinate on that. I'm trying to think about what that would look like. I'll act on PTAC member. Maybe he gets, get some drone footage. Yeah, I mean, we certainly got a lot of pictures that we're pushing out every week with kind of progress update photos. Um, so at minimum, we could take some photos and have there be a photo record. Uh, video or something like that might be a little more tricky, but we can think about that. Okay, well, I'll keep moving down the list here. Um, transit rider suspension policy, this group helps us massage some of our uh, discussion around that. We've got uh, paper materials that should be delivered middle of this week. So uh, just a heads up that this will start to be operationalized sometime this month. Uh, so we'll talk talk that through again with our operations team once those, those forms arise. Uh, but again, we're hoping this can be a little more formal tool to help with a small uh, number, of, number of folks uh, just that we're having some uh, transit behavioral issues with. Um, pause briefly. Any thoughts or questions on that bullet? Uh -huh. Oh, JT. Um, I want to thank you for addressing that. 
one of the last times I I rode on the it's on the, it was on the one there was a individual on there who was making the ride so obnoxious and unpleasant uh, for everyone that I um, I feared for the <laughs> the future of Lawrence Public Transit. Um, so I'm glad you're addressing that. And thank you. Our next phase of electric bus, uh, the two additional Gillig buses, we have a current date of um, expected delivery by mid-December of this year. Where the one piece that is kind of driving that build date is uh, battery availability. Um, they're using a different uh, battery system uh, for the second build than they did with the first. Uh, should help with more range and some different things, but. Uh, we do get an update from them about every week or 10 days about uh, where they're at with uh, the batteries, which is kind of the critical path right now. So we'll keep you updated on that um, well, as we get a little more firm you know, build schedule for our next couple of buses. <laughs> Phase three are uh, two different styles of buses, uh, one of which are uh, Proterra 40-foot buses that have uh, the longest range that we have been able to procure so far. Um, you may have seen some news about Chapter 11 bankruptcy of that uh, company. So we have, I've been learning a lot about uh, bankruptcy and the different chapters of bankruptcy and what it means. So we're in conversations with Proterra every couple of weeks at this point. Um, the, the path essentially is, uh, so Chapter 11 um, is a reorganization version of bankruptcy. They're going to have to sell uh, three different pieces of their company. Uh, one is the transit bus component. They have a charger business, which we won't be participating in. And they have batteries that they use in uh, other non-Proterra vehicles, um, which is also important to us because our electric cutaways are powered by the battery system that Proterra provides. So uh, we'll be very interested in the sale of Proterra's uh, transit business, their bus building business, as well as their battery business. Um, it's our understanding that they've been entertaining uh, bidders um, for the last few months. I believe in uh, its expectation October, November is when any formal agreement or sale will happen. And at that point, we'll start to have a lot more clarity on um, future of those companies. I will say on the transit side of the business, they have a lot of projects in the timeline. Um, everyone I've talked to from other, uh, from other transit agencies, from our current, um, our current consultant that helps us with electric bus project management, um, with uh, other transit professionals, there's not a lot of concern that the businesses will uh, just go away that they'll fail and go away. Everyone is uh, is pretty confident that they'll be sold to someone and continue and continue on. Um, but like I said, it'll be a couple of months before there's uh, greater clarity on that. The uh, good news for us from a flexibility perspective is we um, our buses do not enter the line for build on Proterra until uh, they're scheduled like mid next year to enter the line. So. 
we've got quite a bit of time before we're locked in to something that we'd have to fear you know, wouldn't be a company that exists or would be able to honor the 12-year battery warranties that we're buying. <laughs> um, and so that's the good news, if you will, throughout, throughout this type of uh, challenging news. But we'll certainly keep this group and, and the public updated as we get more specifics on what uh, sale means and what moving forward means. Um, and if, if that means continuation with what we've procured, if it means uh, do we have to make some larger pivot like backing out and, and seeking a different bus manufacturer for phase three, which I, I currently don't think is likely, but it, it would be a, probably a legal option we have given that we haven't entered, um, entered the manufacturing line with Proterra yet. So that's about the extent of what I know, but I'm happy to try to answer other questions. So the, the uh, low-no grant op, uh, plan that uh, the federal government runs, that we aren't locked into Proterra necessarily, even though that was what was in our original uh, offer for the grant money? So we followed the, um, the appropriate federal grant procedure of identifying a partner ahead of the grant. So that made our procurement a lot easier. Um, with a situation like this and with the way our contracts are written, there, there, there is a legal path for us to um, seek a different option. And I would, uh, I would expect our Region 7 FTA office to help facilitate something like that if we absolutely had to. Um, so, so locked in, I think it becomes a lot less locked in when we're talking about bankruptcy. <laughs> that becomes a, um, you know, there, there's some legal opening for maneuvering at that point. Um, it, it would create a new probable, probably federal procurement process for us, which would not be uh, the most fun thing to have to go back and do, um, where we'd have to create an RFP, spec out what bus we want. It wouldn't be as simple as just identifying a different manufacturer that we want to work with. Um, but there'd be a path there. Okay. Thank you. Other thoughts on electric bus, either phase two or three? Okay. Next item on the list is transit app launch in real-time location. So. Uh, we've known for a while that our current uh, rider app, MyBus Lawrence, um, powered by Double Map, is sunsetting. And so we've been planning on what the next thing is for us. Um, Transit app is an uh, application that works in a couple hundred cities worldwide um, and has been a desirable next step for us. Um, now that app is the public-facing piece, but it does not provide the real-time location. So. Real-time location is provided by, uh, will be provided by a company called Swiftly, which was one of our AIC state projects um, that will help us get real-time information that will be made available um, so that when people use the transit app, they can see um, where buses are at in real time. Uh, there will likely be another transition, uh, hopefully that the public won't even notice, uh, but another transition once we get a new um, computer-aided dispatch system uh, into next year uh, that will also provide real-time information to power transit app. But uh, all that said, we're looking at uh, 
likely the last quarter of this year. Um, it's possible it could be as early as November, um, but I think November, December, um, looking at the opportunity to have a new uh, public-facing app that not only has real-time location, but also the ability to plan your trip, which is something our current option uh, doesn't, doesn't have that option. So I um, wanted to list that project as in the works. Uh, certainly anything really on the remainder of this list is going to have <laughs> press releases and social media associated with it uh, with greater detail, but uh, an early heads up on that project. How is that app going to interact with the on-demand app that uh, we talked about earlier today? We asked some questions. We, I mean, we've been exploring the ability to have a single app in the future. Um, the technology is really not quite there yet. Um, so for now, it's going to be two separate things. You'll use one app for all your fixed route needs, a different one for your microtransit needs. Right now, that's not a huge deal because our services don't overlap. Um, if in the future we have on-demand services operating at the same time as fixed route services, we really would want to try to figure out a trip planning app that helps you combine those two things so that if you're taking a trip across town, you know, I will use on-demand for this portion and then I'll hop on a fixed route bus for the last part. Um, but for now, they'll be completely separate. Okay. Next item on the list is um, digital signage and automated next stop announcements. So we're working through contracting still uh, with a company to provide, uh, it's both interior and exterior signs. So interior signs will have uh, information about next stops, uh, audio announcements for clear um, clear ADA announcements so that uh, passengers can hear what the next stop is. It'll also have the opportunity to, to present some other static information inside the bus. If you think about some of the things we do with paper posters today, um, take our survey, come to this city engagement event, um, you know, routes are changing, that sort of information can be presented on the digital screen as well. Um, we're also adding rear destination signs to a number of buses that don't currently have them. So as people approach buses from the rear, they'll be able to more easily see what route uh, that bus is, um, which will be helpful. So uh, hopefully we can get some of that work moving by the last quarter of this year. Um, I'm sure that will bleed over into uh, the first part of next year. We have a new branding bus wraps project that we're working through. This is another AIC project. Really, I guess everything remaining on this list is an AIC grant project. Um, so we'll be rewrapping all of our buses, uh, both fixed route and paratransit, uh, with some new branding that uh, pushes the Lawrence Transit branding to the front of every bus and adds some new City of Lawrence branding to the rear of every bus. And so um, working through that procurement process and expect that to be um, complete in the first quarter of next year. There. Uh, are we planning on keeping KU buses and Lawrence buses with uh, different branding wraps? Uh, short yes. answer would be yes. So, yeah. so far. Yeah, short answer okay. yes. Yeah, there's continued discussions. We've got some more engagement work internally to do uh, to talk to talk about visually what joint branding means. Um, but 
you know, this project hopefully kind of sets ourselves up to transition to something more more cohesive in the future. Um, I do think, uh, in the in a large sense, you should expect to continue to see Jayhawks on KU buses, and continue to see some city branding on city buses. And there's uh, there's some options for us to have some coordinated components that um, could tie us together a little bit. So. Uh, we're working on it's it. It's a goal. <laughs> We've been working on it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, zero emission transition plan. So this is something on the horizon. I just wanted you all to uh, have it on your radar as well. So grant-funded project. We plan to start this work in the first quarter of next year. So next year will be a planning process, a pretty technical process, Not maybe not quite the same as a lot of the very public engagement focused processes like route changes and um, uh, and central station and things like that um, this one this particular plan is a lot more focused on how do we functionally uh, fit enough charging infrastructure where we want it to be how do we afford it how do we maintain service levels while we transition to technologies that are rapidly changing um, but certainly there will be some engagement and a, lot, and a whole lot of uh, information as well as we work through that process. Um, but that plan will help us have a better glide path towards moving beyond these first three phases of electric buses we've done that I would consider kind of our pilot projects, you know, three of them in a row, but, but to a certain extent pilots still. Um, and then how do we get to uh, completely fixed route zero emission or completely fleet-wide zero emission, which is close to 50 vehicles. That's a much different ballgame than 11 vehicles. And then uh, the last thing he listed here I also wanted to have on your radar is uh, with Central Station and our need to focus on getting that done, um, the work on Downtown Station was put on hold um, after we did not get advancement from City Commission on a, a preferred site. So. Uh, we're committing to restarting that public engagement process in 2024, planning on really the entirety of 2024 being a uh, public engagement site selection process uh, for, for where is the best spot for us to fit downtown improvements that um, are functional and useful for the next few decades. So that's going to be a big effort. We're doing some early groundwork with some downtown businesses just to make sure they're not surprised um, that this is coming, uh, but certainly there will be um, a lot of work next year on that project. So long list tonight. I appreciate you sticking with me through it, but I just wanted to make sure um, all of these different project initiatives were um, known to everybody and weren't surprise, surprises to anyone. And um, again, happy to answer any other questions and all these projects will come back up into more formal agenda items in the future, I'm sure. Thank you, Adam. Um, JT, BTEC members, Ginger Margretta, anything that you want to bring up from that list, knowing that we're basically at the end of our agenda? I don't think so. We're off to a great start this fall. It's been kind of busy. Good to hear. 
Well, in uh, that event, um, hopefully we will have enough people in attendance on October 9th for our next meeting so that we will officially have a quorum, although based on today's discussion, we may end up making that a walking meeting at the Central Station, which I would definitely look forward to. Um, I'm sure Adam, Lance, and I will be in discussions about what, what our plan is for the October meeting specifically. And if we do decide to make it a tour of the facility, we'll uh, send an email to let everyone know that we're canceling the formal meeting and PTAC members are going to meet at the facility itself. So with that said, um, unless someone has one last thing, I'll give you five seconds. Okay. Uh, with that, we are, since we didn't have a formal meeting, we aren't formally adjourned, but we are done with our agenda. So thank you for those of you who attended and look forward to uh, seeing you all in October. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, everyone.